Well, hey, good morning, guys. How are we doing? Good, good. You guys awake? Good. Hey, do me a favor. If you have your Bibles, open them up to Hebrews 4. We're going to be in Hebrews 4 this morning. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. We have people coming down the aisles right now who'd love to get a copy of God's Word into your hand. Just raise them up and we'll get that to you. And by the way, if you don't own a Bible, uh, just keep that. But we're going to be in Hebrews 4, verses 1 through 11. So you definitely are going to want to raise your hand and get a Bible if you don't have one this morning. So how many of our ladies were at the women's conference yesterday? How'd it go? Good? Thumbs up or thumbs down? Good, good. We are um, excited about that. So um, what happened was um, after the women's conference was over, Mary came home and as I was heading out to go to church and she was coming back, I was like, hey, babe, how'd the conference go? And she's like, it was amazing. Everyone was crying. And then she proceeded to cry as she explained to me why everyone was crying. So I think like the, the earmarks of a great women's conference is when everyone cries. So by that standard, I think we had a successful day yesterday and um, like many of the men in here, my job was to watch the kids and keep them safe and fed and clothed and all that good stuff. And I only had one kid wake up from nap time with a 103 degree fever. So I count that as a success for me. Like 75%, three out of four, I think I nailed it. But um, thankful for all the men in here who did extra dad duty as well. But it sounds like that was a great thing. And um, here's what I wanna do to start off this morning. I wanna play a game. And uh, here's what the game's gonna, gonna be. I'm gonna count to three. And then when I say three, I want to hear an audible description of how your last week was, but it can only be one word. All right. So you've got to think if you could describe your past week in just one word, preferably no four letter words. We're at church, right? <laughs> but, but if you could give me an honest, this is what my week was in one word, what would it be? Do you have it? Stress. Okay. I, th- I haven't counted to three yet. Okay. <laughs> the rules are simple. There's like two of them. Say one word and wait till I count to three. Here we go. One Two, three. Stress. Stress. I heard some groaning here. It wasn't even words. Um, Here's what I heard no one say, though. I heard no one say restful. All of you guys just said words like loudly together, and no one was like, man, my week was so restful. We We rarely ever think of our lives is being restful. Well, this morning, we're gonna look at a passage that mentions the word rest nine times in 11 verses. This morning is going to be talking about rest. And if I wanted to, I could open up this message in the very stereotypical fashion, and I could give you all the statistics that show how unrestful we are as a people and as a society, how we are the worst people at resting in the history of mankind that we work more hours than any other country, that we sleep less than anyone in the history of the world, and that number keeps shrinking, it's not growing, and that even when we do rest, we don't even understand what rest is because rest for us means scrolling mindlessly through the internet and and what um, people who work on brains would tell you, that's not resting at all. But in fact, it's actually increasing stress and anxiety most of the time. But you guys know this already. I don't have to go through those stats with you. So here's what I think we should do instead. This might make us feel a little bit better. Um, When you think of yourself resting, what do you think about? You don't need to say it out loud, but I want you to take a moment and picture yourself at rest. What does that look like for you? Right? Some of you are like, I don't even remember what that looks like. But when you think of yourself like, man, this would be me at rest... What, what is that? What does that look like? And for some of us, we think of physical rest, right? Like for me, rest means I'm on vacation. I'm on a beach somewhere. It's 90 degrees. Um, I'm hearing sounds of the waves. My feet are up. A drink's in my hand. That's rest. 
For some of us, it's like, man, it's just my favorite cup of coffee under a warm blanket watching my favorite TV show. Right? For some of us, like, man, I just would love to sleep. Do you have any moms of young kids in the room? They're like, man, I just love to sleep until 9.30 for once in my life ever. Like that would just be the best thing in the universe. For some of us, it's like, I just love to have a night of sleep. For others of us, it's emotional rest, right? Like, man, if, when my family gets home from the holidays, like when everyone's together, when we're all hanging out and getting along and loving each other, when, when, when my family's here, that's when I'm at rest, or maybe there's an issue in your family that's like, man, if these relationships could just get resolved, then my heart would be at rest. Maybe it's getting through a season of financial stress. If I could just sell the house and if I could just be done moving, if things weren't so tight, then I would be at rest. Or if work wasn't so busy and we got through this transition with my job, if that calmed down, I could be at rest. Um, maybe it's just there's a broken relationship in your life. And it's like, no matter what else is going on in your life, there's just that in the back of your mind, that gnawing feeling like something's broken. And it's just, I wish things were like the way they were. And if it could go back there, then I'd be at rest. We need to understand that Hebrews 4 is not talking about physical rest. And it's not talking about emotional rest. It's talking about a rest that's way more important. It's talking about spiritual rest. And this is something that we really don't spend any time thinking about, but I'm telling you, there's a lot on the line for us this morning. So here's the big idea that's gonna kind of frame where we're going, it's this. It's that when we don't get spiritual rest right, our tanks will never be full. When we don't get spiritual rest right, our tanks will never be full. And I need you to look at me. Here's what I'm going to argue this morning. It doesn't matter how many vacations you go on, it doesn't matter how nice the weather is. It doesn't matter how many hours of sleep you're getting at night. If we are not resting spiritually in a rest that only Christ can offer, our tanks are never going to be full. We're going to live life hovering around empty, redlining our way through life in a way that's unhealthy and doesn't glorify the Lord. And I just have a sense that many of us are feeling this redlining right now and we don't know how to solve it and we don't know what to do with it. And this is what God's word is gonna speak into our hearts this morning. So look at Hebrews 4, starting at verse one. I'm gonna read all 11 verses. You can follow along. And I just wanna give you a warning. Here's what's gonna happen. I'm about to read 11 verses and then you're all gonna look at me with this terrified face being like, what the heck is this talking about? Um, this is hard stuff to wade through, but there's some gold in here. So just take a breath, relax. We're gonna get through this together. Here's what it says. It says, therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear that any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest, as he said, I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundations of the world, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, that God rested on the seventh day from all of his works. And again, in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. And again, he appoints a certain day today saying through David so long afterwards and the words already quoted, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered into God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest 
so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. All right, you guys got it? Ready to pray and kind of close up our morning? That was easy, huh? Well, here's what the author of Hebrews is doing. He is reminding his readers that four different times in the Old Testament, God specifically calls his people to enter into rest. He says, listen, as part of a relationship with me, one of the benefits and the values you get is you get to be at rest. And he does this in creation by creating a Sabbath day. He does this with the people of Israel as they're about to enter the promised land. He does it a thousand years later to King David. And he says, there's an offer for us to rest today. And we're gonna look at these four offers. But what I wanna do is I wanna start with God's original design and his call for us to rest. And that is found in the Sabbath day. So the first thing we're going to see is that the call for us to rest is the Sabbath. Now, if you're like me and you've grown up in the church, you're familiar with this word Sabbath and you think of immediately one of the 10 commandments, right? That the fourth commandment was honor the Sabbath day and keep it holy. So the Sabbath day is one day a week where we set aside time, we don't work, but we come to church and we worship and we rest. That this is how God designed creation. That when God created, he created for six days, And even though God wasn't tired, he is limitless, he's all powerful, he just spoke creation into existence. He set aside a day to rest as a rhythm for us to live our lives by. And here's what's crazy. I would say that out of all of the 10 commandments, not keeping the Sabbath has become socially acceptable, hasn't it? Like it's not a problem at all. Like I would never go to Haley and be like, you know, Hey, how, how's your week going? How are you doing spiritually? And she'd be like, I'm doing amazing. I only murdered two people this week. It's been a great week. I'm probably gonna murder someone again, right? That, that, we, that'd be insane. Like, hey, how are you doing? Oh, great, I just cheated on my spouse four times. It's been a good week. I'm in a good place. God and I are tight, right? Man, I, I robbed a bank. I'm gonna rob another one, but God and I were doing great. We would never say that, but all the time, We say, hey, how are you doing? You know what? I'm really doing well. I'm just so busy. I haven't had a day off in like four weeks. And it's like this busyness is not something that we need to own or be proactive in. It just happens to us and it's okay. To not rest, to not set aside a day to worship and honor the Lord has become socially acceptable. In fact, we view busyness as a badge of honor, don't we? Do you know that studies show that most Americans will embellish how many hours a week they work? So like if you work 45 hours a week, you'll tell people you work 55 hours a week because in our society, busyness equals importance. And so we honor busyness. And now it's cool. You don't only have your job, but now you've got your side hustle. So you're, man, if you're really a hard worker, you work even when you're not supposed to be working because that's what hard workers do. It's become a badge of honor. So what I wanna do right now is I wanna look at three things that God is trying to accomplish in our hearts when he tells us to set aside a day to rest and to Sabbath. And these are gonna be really important for us. And I'm just praying that your heart might be open to really wrestling with, is this something you take seriously or is this a step of obedience that the Lord might be calling you to make even this week? I met with a guy after the service, just last, um, last service after the nine. And he was like, you know what? I was headed up to uh, our, our cottage and I had this whole list of chores to do and we were gonna work all day. And I just called my wife and said, hey, let's just spend some time and rest and reflect on how good God is. Maybe God's calling you to do a similar thing today. So here's the first thing that God's trying to accomplish in our hearts through Sabbath. He's trying to remind us that God is our primary pursuit, that God is our primary pursuit. Listen, church, 
We exist primarily to know, worship, and glorify God. That's why we were created to make much of our creator. So here's what that means. By definition, everything else in our life is secondary. Our work, our school, our relationships, our friendships, they're all good things and they're all important and they're all things we've been called to take seriously and steward, but they're not primary. Our primary purpose is to know, worship, and love our creator. So here's what I need you to understand, that coming to church and worshiping and taking a day to rest, it's not a break from your priorities. It is your priority. You're you're, you're not stepping away from what you've been called to. You're stepping into it. Um, We were created to know and worship God, and we forget this so quickly, don't we? Um, how many of you, like when you're driving somewhere new, you just like put in the directions and Siri tells you where to go? How many of you guys do that when you drive? Like if you don't know where you're going, you just put it in your phone and Siri tells you where to go. Super easy. Like I remember 20 years ago when I was a 13 year old kid and my dad like threatening me like, hey Cal, you need to remember where we're going and you need to know all the road numbers and you need to pay attention while I'm driving because when you're driving, you're gonna be lost if you don't know where everything is. Looks like nonsense now, right? Like, I don't need to know where anything is. I just need to know where the map button is on my phone and Siri will tell me where to go. It's amazing. And when you're driving somewhere new, the beautiful thing about Siri is, is when you um, miss an exit, what does it do? It says, hey, Cal, take, take, take a U-turn, you, you've missed your exit. Or, hey, I'm rerouting you, or I'm gonna recalculate and I'm gonna put you on the right route to where you need to go. Listen, that's what the Sabbath day was always meant to be. It, it, it's saying, listen, Let's reroute, let's recalculate, let's get back on the right path because God is our priority. Like, listen, if we all believe that our eternity ends with us in heaven, with the Lord and with his people, then we need to take a day a week and remind ourselves that work is not my eternity. That family is not my eternity. That my eternity is with the Lord. That's where I'm going. And if I veered off, I need to recalculate and head the right way. Um, I can say this now because I'm not a youth pastor and it doesn't sound like I'm self-dealing, but I would say that one of the most discouraging parts about being a youth pastor is you work in a construct where parents make it very, very clear that youth group is a priority as long as none of the actual priorities are competing with it. So it's like, yeah, my kid will come to youth group as long as they don't have homework. Hey, my kids will come to youth group as long as there's not a basketball game or as long as there's not, you know, the 12th practice they've had this week. Like, as long as there's nothing else going on, then then our kids will pursue the Lord. And I wanted to be like, listen, you're wrong. Their relationship with the Lord is the priority. No one in my youth group's ever gonna be a professional athlete. I promise you, I've seen them, right? (laughs) But it's like, no, no, no. It is the priority. It is why we're created. It is the thing. And so often we believe, like, listen, your kid's geometry test isn't going to affect their life forever. And I'm sorry I said that in front of your high school. It's really important. Study hard, all of those things. But what are we communicating to our children is the purpose of our life. Just a question we need to ask ourselves. Anything outside of loving, knowing, worshiping, and following God is by definition a secondary pursuit. The Sabbath helps us remember that. Here's uh, the next one, and this one's so important. We, God has called us to Sabbath so we can practically live out the reality that God's our provider. So that we can practically live out by faith the reality that it is God who provides for us, not ourselves. Listen, on a very basic level, to only work six out of seven days is putting us at a disadvantage, right? 
Like there's way more we could get done if we worked all seven days, especially in an agricultural society like Israel when this law was rolled out. It's like, God, the the, the fields aren't gonna harvest themselves. God, God, there's there's work to do. The animals, they're not gonna feed themselves. You're telling me to take a day and not do anything? And I can even see it in your minds, men. Some of you thinking, dude, I'm way too important to take a day off every week. I've got emails that can't go unanswered. I've got meetings that have to be set up. I've got people who are depending on me. You're telling me that I should take a break? And here's what God's saying. You need to hear this. He's saying, listen, if you trust me that I'll provide for you and you honor what I've called you to do, I'm gonna multiply your efforts in the other six days and everything's gonna get taken care of and you're gonna be provided for Like, isn't that a great deal? Hey, only work six out of the seven days and I'm gonna provide for you like you were working all seven days and even more so. Like you'd be an idiot not to take that deal, right? And yet I'm talking to a room where 80% of us never take a break. Maybe we're the idiots. Gotcha. (laughs) Nervous laughter, right? God's saying, listen, I'm the one who provides. Look at Psalm 127.1. It's on the screen. We read this during worship. It's just such an amazing passage. Listen to the words here. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Like I could preach a whole message on verse two alone. Isn't that amazing? Like, listen, if God's not in it, everything we're trying to build for ourselves is just in vain anyways. And what's the result of that? We, we get up early and we go to bed late in vain. Like, is there ever a more pertinent verse to our culture than that right there? That all of the anxiety we feel around work is because we're trying to do it outside of acknowledging that it's the Lord who provides and not us. But look at the end, look at this promise. For he gives to his beloved sleep that the fruit of trusting in the Lord is rest. And listen, this isn't an excuse to be lazy. We still work hard, but in our work, there has to be this real acknowledgement that it's God who provides, not me. So I'm gonna do the best I can and trust God with the rest. Do me a favor, turn to your neighbor and say, you don't provide for you. Some of you are looking at your high schooler being like, I tell you this every day, right? You, you don't provide for you. Listen, it's God who provides. Taking a Sabbath day where we don't answer every email like the world will end if we don't, we rest, we worship, we love on our family. It is us practically living out our faith that we believe that God is in control and that he's good and that he'll provide. Okay, so I'm about to say something that's gonna ruffle some of your feathers right now. So I did the very, very smart pastor thing. Instead of me saying it, I found another guy who said it. So I'm gonna put this quote up on the screen and he's gonna say something that ruffles your feathers. So when you're mad, don't be mad at me, be mad at him, all right? (laughs) This is J.D. Greer. He's a great pastor at Summit Church in North Carolina. Here's what he says. He says, if you wanna know if someone has taken hold of what it means to live by faith, see if they take a Sabbath and see if they tithe. Okay, and, and here's the idea. He's saying, listen, it doesn't get any more real than our time and our money, right? Well, like that's where we live, our time and our money, that's real. And God has given us commands with what we're to do with these things. 
And so often our faith, it kind of lives in this intangible world, doesn't it? Where it's like, God, I trust you with my life and I trust you with my family and I trust you with my health and I trust you with my relationships. But here's the question. If I'm not trusting him with the real things that he's called me to be responsible for and steward, why should I have the confidence that I'm gonna trust him with those other things when the time comes? If I'm not willing to take a day and rest because God has called me to and trust that he's the provider, why would I believe I should have faith in the future for the other things? And if I'm not willing to say, God, you are more generous than I am and I'm never gonna outgive you. So you've called me to give my first fruits back to you as an offering of faith and I'm gonna do it with a joyful heart. But listen, if we are doing those things and that's part of the rhythm of our life, we can have a confidence that when the trials and tribulations of life come, we're gonna continue to walk in faith. The Sabbath is a practical way we live by faith that God provides, not us. Here's the third, to remember and reflect about God's role in our salvation. The Sabbath is a time where we reflect about what God has done for us. In Deuteronomy, uh, God gives the law to the people of Israel a second time. And what he does is he's saying, listen, I want to explain more why I'm giving you those laws. And in Deuteronomy 5, 12 through 15, he talks about the Sabbath. Here's what he says. He says, observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God and on it you shall not do any work. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. So the Sabbath, we don't work, but we're called to remember. And what's he telling the people of Israel to remember? That listen, that God's the one that freed you from slavery. Well, like how much did the people of Israel have to do with being freed from slavery in Egypt? Can you give me the universal zero sign? Like they did nothing. It wasn't like the people of Israel snuck out at night, went to the pond, gathered all the frogs and threw them in Egypt, right? They didn't do that, God created the plagues. It was God that turned the water into blood and blotted out the sun. It was God who set the people of Israel free. And listen, when when they were leaving Israel and Pharaoh's army was chasing them and they were blocked by the Red Sea, Israel didn't escape because they were fast swimmers. God parted the Red Sea, they walked across on dry land and then God closed it up over their enemies. God did everything for Israel. And by the way, isn't the same true for you and me? that we were dead in our trespasses and sins, that we were enemies of God following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, doing our own thing, living for ourselves, and it is God who made our hearts alive to salvation, that he sent his son while we were still enemies to pay the penalty for our sin, that he moved towards us in love before we even ever knew what his name was. So what he's saying is is you need to take a day to rest and remember just how good God is to you. That he is trustworthy, that he is faithful because he has pulled you out of the pit of despair. He has saved your life and he is with you today because we'll forget if we just go, 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 go. Look at verse nine, I love this. It says, so then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. So the reason we rest is because we don't have to work to earn God's acceptance anymore. That just how God rested from his work, we rest from our good works because it's already been accomplished in Christ. 
So that's a little bit about the Sabbath, and I would just encourage you, is this something that's a reality in your life, or is there a step of obedience and faith you need to make? And what I wanna do right now is I wanna talk about the pathway to spiritual rest. How do you and I find true spiritual rest? Well, the answer is faith. That outside of faith, we will never experience true spiritual rest. Look at verse three. He says this, for we who have believed enter that rest, as he said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. All right, so this is a weird verse. He's saying, if we believe, we enter the rest, but, but there's others, he said, I swore they shall never enter my rest. And, and the writer here is reminding the readers of a story from the Old Testament. And this is when the Israelites were right about to enter the promised land. You remember the story? They got right to the edge of the promised land. They sent 12 spies in and two of the spies came back and said, the armies are great. The people are massive. There's huge fortified cities, but God is with us and we can take them. And the other 10 spies were like, you're crazy. Like these armies are huge. If we go in there, we're going to get slaughtered. And the people rebelled against God and said, we're not going into the promised land. They got right to the edge, but in faith, they wouldn't enter. Um, about 11 years ago now, right when my wife and I first got married, um, we were living in Orlando. We were working at a church there. And actually Pastor Ryan and his wife, Carrie, were also on staff at that church. And we had mutual friends. There was another young couple in our church who was newly married that we hung out with and it was the wife's birthday. And they said, hey, Cal and Mary and Ryan and Care, uh, we wanna hang out and do something for uh, this girl's birthday. And, and what we're gonna do is, is we're all gonna go out to lunch and then we wanna go skydiving. And instantly, you know, and they're like, listen, you don't have to skydive if you want. You can just come up and like hang out and watch or you're welcome to come skydiving. And instantly, myself, Ryan and Carrie were like, listen, we'll come have lunch with you. It sounds like a great time, but we're not skydiving, right? We like you, but not enough to jump out of a plane with you, right? That they were just not doing it. And Mary, to my surprise, was like, Cal, I want to skydive. I want to do it. And I was like, are you sure? Like... <laughs> We just got married. I'm like hoping to have a long life with you. Like, is this sure this is the best decision for our family right now? And she's like, no, I, I, I really want to do it. I'm excited about it. Let's go. So, you know, we get to the place and she signs the 17 page waiver signing her life away, which really makes you feel good in the moment, right? Like, oh, this is so safe that we're signing our life completely away. And then she watches like the 45 minute instructional video uh, about skydiving. Then she meets the instructor that she's gonna drive with. And then, you know, she puts her helmet on, right? Because when you're falling out of a plane, the helmet's gonna be the thing that solves, you know, all of your problems. <laughs> Um, you know, she puts her helmet on and she's literally, she gets fitted for her jumpsuit. She climbs in, she straps herself up. She's all ready to go. The plane has started and she literally zips her jumpsuit up, looks at the instructor and goes, nope, not going. <laughs> and she unzipped it, took it off, took off the helmet and was like, that was so stupid. I can't believe I almost jumped out of a plane. Like she got right to the moment of doing it and was like, not gonna do it. And by the way, that's exactly what Israel did to God. God had freed them from Egypt. He'd called them into the promised land and they could see it. They could see the promised land. They just had to cross one river. And they said, God, I don't have the faith. I don't trust you. I'm not doing it. And so God said, because of that, you're never gonna see the promised land. And what was their punishment? They had to wander around the wilderness for 40 years. So that generation died off and then their kids would enter the promised land. And what the writer of Hebrews is referencing is that where they fell short, their disobedience was they didn't trust that God would be faithful. 
God is showing us that we only enter his rest through faith, but you need to understand the promised land was not in itself the final rest, but a foreshadowing of the ultimate rest we have in Christ. Look at verse seven. It says, again, he appoints a certain day today, saying through David so long afterwards, and the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So here's what he's saying. He's saying, listen, a thousand years after the people of Israel entered the promised land, God is still saying to David, don't harden your hearts, live by faith, enter my rest. And he's saying, if the rest was just the promised land, David was already in the promised land. King had destroyed all of his enemies, but that wasn't the rest. The true rest was not found in land, but found in trust in God. Look at verse 11. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. What was the disobedience of the people of Israel? They didn't have faith that God would provide for them. They didn't trust God. Later in Hebrews, it says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. What God desires from us is our faith and our trust in him. It's the only pathway to rest. Okay, so here's what I wanna do with the rest of our time. I wanna make this really, really practical and really, really tangible. And I need to talk about three things that you and I need to have the faith to believe right now today if we're ever going to experience rest, all right? So I wanna talk about three things we have to believe if we're gonna find true spiritual rest in Christ. Here's the first. I have to believe that Jesus is my righteousness. If I don't believe that I am righteous through Jesus Christ, I am never going to experience rest. I have a question for you. Who knows, what was the first thing that happened to Adam and Eve when they were in the garden and they ate of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Right when they sinned, what happened? Who knows? Okay, I got a lot of mumbles. Okay, let me hear some boldness. What happened? They, they recognized that they were naked, right? The first thing that happens is, oh crap, we're naked. They eat of the tree, they realize they're naked. So here's my question. Hadn't they always been naked? Like they were naked before they realized it, before they ate of the fruit. What happened? What changed? So they were fine with it. Now it's a problem and they've got to go hide and cover themselves. You want to know what changed? Is that even though they were naked before sin, it was okay because they had always been covered with the love and acceptance of God. So even though they were physically naked, they'd been so covered in God's love and acceptance. And when that broke because of sin and they realized that there was brokenness in their relationship with God, all of a sudden they realized they were naked and they ran to cover themselves. And here's what I'm gonna argue right now. You and I live with this same awareness that spiritually we're naked that our sin has caused separation between us and God. And, and here's what I need to, to tell you. Listen, all of us have gotten really good at running to things to try to cover our spiritual nakedness, just as Adam and Eve ran to cover their physical nakedness. So I, I need someone to help me. Jeff, can you come up here? Thanks, man. That's what you get for sitting in the front row. So Jeff, you're gonna, re you're gonna represent someone who's spiritually naked, all right? You cool with that? Yeah, that's right. Okay. So Jeff realizes, hey, there's something wrong. There's something broken. I, 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 I'm spiritually naked. I know that I don't measure up. There's this hole in my heart that I don't know how to fill. And so what you try to do is, I think the first thing you try to run through is like, man, if I'm just successful, maybe that will be the thing that will cover this spiritual nakedness that I feel. So you're gonna have to take off your hat, bro. I'm gonna have you put this on. Hopefully it's your size. Hopefully it fits. It's a little big. But we're like, man, if people just look up to me, 
If people think I'm successful, if I'm well thought of, if I make enough, if people depend on me, if I oversee people, maybe this success is going to fulfill this void that I feel. And when that doesn't work, you know, maybe we turn, some of us, we turn to romance, right? Well, man, if I just find that perfect someone who is my soulmate, this is gonna fix all the problems with my life, which is like a ridiculous thing to think, right? Because two sinful people coming together doesn't make sin go away, right? It most likely amplifies it. But if you ever look at a bride on her wedding day, she's like, listen, all of my problems are gonna go away now. I found my prince charming. We think if I just find someone who will love me, all right, put it on. Yeah, yeah, we're, we're, gonna, we're gonna be putting some stuff on, all right? Maybe it's not romance, maybe it's just friendships, right? Like if I got people to hang with, all I need is a crew and people who I know care about me and who have common interests and I don't like to be alone and I don't wanna be lonely. So if I just have friends and people that I can hang out with and do stuff with on the weekend, this is gonna be the thing that it solves my identity crisis. It's gonna cover my nakedness. I just need people that, that, that love me and to know that I'm cool, right? We go to friendships. And maybe if it's not friendships, maybe it's family, right? Well, as long as my family's good, everything will be good. Any mama bears in the room, right? As long as I got my babies and as long as they love their mama and as long as everything good or, or even like a little bit more terrifying, man, I'm just gonna be validated when my son's good at sports, right? That's gonna be what validates my existence because that's a healthy way to think about things, right? But it's like, man, if my kids succeed, then I'm gonna be seen as a success because I'm the one that raised them and I'm gonna put all of my hope in how my kids are. Are they happy? Are they successful? Are, are, are they achieving things? It's just another version of success just through other people, not yourself, maybe. Or here's one we've already talked about, busyness, right? The way I'm gonna cover my spiritual nakedness is I'm just not gonna give myself time to think about it. And I'm just gonna do, do, do and fill up my calendar and keep working and keep hustling and keep accomplishing. And I'm just gonna go, 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 go. Because when I rest, I've gotta consider where my heart is. And that's not a great thing to consider right now. So let's just keep moving and keep moving forward even though I don't even know where forward is right now. It's busyness or, or, and listen, I could do this all day, but here's another one. Maybe it's stuff. Like, listen, well, what's gonna make everything better is that new house, right? We just gotta get the kitchen remodeled and that's gonna fix the spiritual nakedness that I feel. If I just get to the next income bracket, if I just get that next promotion or the next job, like this next thing is going to be the thing that solves everything. So we get really, really good at running to things to cover up the spiritual nakedness we feel. How's that feel right now? You feel good? You comfortable? Oh, yeah? yeah? I feel like if you like keep wearing all that stuff in like three minutes from now, you're gonna get real sweaty. Is that true? Probably. Yeah, it, it gets heavy. So, so here's the thing. We put all of these things on because we're running to cover ourselves from a spiritual nakedness we feel. But I've got good news for Jeff. And I've got good news for you right now. Here's what it is. It's in Galatians 3, 25 through 27. It says this, but now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Okay, here's what this is saying, that we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. That the same love and acceptance from God that we lost in the garden, we have achieved in Jesus Christ. So I don't need to run to other things to, to, to cover myself from my spiritual nakedness because I've been robed in Christ and that love and acceptance is for me and it's there for me and it can never be taken away. 
that Christ is my righteousness and these things I can enjoy as a gift from God and they don't become the be all end all because my righteousness is in God. We're clothed in Christ. All right, give it up for Jeff. You can sit down. You don't need to take it off here. I'll get it to you later. Like, this is something that, that we have to believe or, or we're never, we're never going to stop striving if we don't believe that our love and acceptance is accomplished for us in Christ. Listen, on your worst day, God could not love you anymore because your righteousness, you are hidden with Christ. Second thing we have to believe is that Christ is my identity. And what I mean by that, it's that my life is not defined by how well I perform or what you think of me. We have to believe that our life is defined by what Jesus Christ has done and what he says about me, that I'm his child, that I'm clean, that I'm loved, that I'm forgiven, that I'm powered, that I'm righteous, and that I can walk by faith and honor God, that that's gotta be the thing that defines me. And so listen, I know you all like, I've heard this before, Cal, so I'm gonna make it real. Can I let you in on a secret? You know who's really bad at finding their identity in Christ? Uh, pastors. You know, pastors are kind of renowned for being terrible at finding their identity in Christ. And let me explain to you how this plays itself out. So for most of us, our off day is on Monday. And we work, you know, through the weekend and then Monday is kind of our off day. And when I go to pastors conferences or, or when I hang out with pastors, this is talked about at every con conference I've ever been. Pastors love to get together and joke about how miserable they are on Mondays. And they're always like, oh, Mondays are the worst. And I'm so wiped out and I'm so beat up. And they even joke like every Monday, I write a rough draft of my resignation letter and then I throw it away Monday night. But they're like, I'm so depressed on Mondays. You want to know why that is? Like, here's the truth. The reason pastors can fight depression on Mondays is because they haven't tied their identity to Christ. They've tied their identity to how the weekend services went. And when I preach a great message and I get good feedback and attendance is good and the church is growing, I'm on top of the world and I feel amazing because my performance is good. But when I preach a dud of a sermon and I've got to wade through some angry emails and I've got to own some things or maybe church attendance is down, it's like, I don't even want to do this anymore. You know why? Because I've tied my identity not to Christ anymore, but to my performance. And listen, you have to believe this. If your identity is tied to your performance, you'll never ever rest because you'll never stop striving. There's always another thing to perform in. Our identity has to be in what Christ says about us or we'll never find spiritual rest. And then here's the third. Christ has to be my priority. Christ has to be my priority. He has to be first in my life. And here's why I say this. The reason that when Christ becomes first, we actually rest is because life gets beautifully simple. Listen, we live in a complex world and we live in a broken world where things happen, relationships break down, work gets hectic. But if I live my life with the idea that, listen, it's Christ, it's my priority, doesn't my mindset get super simple? Isn't everything boiled down to, did I honor Christ today? And so even if work, if it feels like things are falling apart or relationships are bad, I can still lay in bed at night and ask myself the question, did I honor the Lord? Was I kind? Did I work hard? Did I have integrity? Was I forgiving? Was I um, loving towards others? And when I fall short, I run to my father's arms who are open and I repent and I, and I ask for forgiveness and I move forward and I try to honor the Lord tomorrow. And listen, everything else, the stuff that I can't control, I get to leave to the one who provides. 
So my life becomes when things are good and when things are bad, all I have to think about is, am I honoring the Lord? Was he first? Am I living to glorify him? And I'm gonna trust that God's gonna take care of the rest because I sure can't. It gets really, really simple. You wanna simplify your life? A way better way to do that than spring cleaning is to make Christ your priority. Am I glorifying him? Is there bitterness that I need to repent of? Have I hurt someone? Have I been selfish? Do I need to own those things and repent? Where am I not following the Lord? How do I root these things out and how do I honor the Lord? And then I'm gonna trust him with everything else. I wanna throw the big idea up on the screen again as we close, it's this. When we don't get spiritual rest right, our tanks will never be full. And here's what I would just encourage you, church, we have to get this right. If we don't, it doesn't matter how many vacations we take or how much sleep that we get a night or how good our relationships are. Listen, even if we're rested physically and even if we're rested emotionally, like how many of you guys have went on a vacation? You know, the vacation was great, but like two weeks later, you're like, I'm exhausted again. How many of you have been there, right? We've all been there. Listen, even when we're rested physically, if we're not at rest spiritually, our souls will continue to live in turmoil. And here's my fear. My fear is I have a room full of people who've gotten very, very good at doing the spiritual things, the Christian things, the church things, but you've never seriously taken Jesus up on his offer to rest. Jesus is the one who says, come to me those who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you what? I'll give you rest. You don't have to strive anymore. You don't have to run to other things to fill the hole in your heart. You're righteous, you're loved, you're purified, you're sanctified, you've received my spirit, I'm with you, that's your identity. You don't have to run to other things all the time. Can I ask you a question? Can you honestly say that spiritually you're at rest? Because I'm telling you, that's what God wants for you. And that offer's available, but it's only gonna happen when we believe by faith that Christ is my righteousness, Christ is my identity, and then we live by faith to live a life where Christ becomes our priority. Amen? All right, let's pray. Oh, dearly Father, God, I just have a um, sense in this room right now that this is a room that needs to hear this message. And I'm thankful for your word. I'm thankful that you really speak into the real things of our life. And God, I, I'm just so overwhelmed that you love us enough to offer us rest. That so much of our life is spent striving to impress, striving to perform. And God, um, you don't desire that from us, but you desire our love and our faith. And God, just forgive me for so often forgetting, um, for pushing aside what's maybe most important in my life. Um, would you give us the strength this week to find rest in you? Would you help us to be a people who is marked by a faith that you are good and that you'll provide and that you're in control? And God, would that affect every inch of our lives? We need you. We love you. We're so thankful for the work you're doing in our hearts through your word in this series. We love you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.